Are you a South Florida property owner with an insurance claim? Are you dealing with water, mold, or fire damage? Looking for a reputable, fully licensed, insured, and certified contractor? Water Cleanup of Florida is here for you 24 hours a day. When a disaster strikes in your home or business, you need specialized, fast, and reliable services. Water Cleanup of Florida understands the impact and stress an unexpected disaster may cause. With over 62 years of combined experience, Michael, Robert, and Eric, and their team is prepared to handle any size disaster. The guys are born and raised in South Florida, so changing the narrative on the way contractors conduct business in South Florida is extremely important to them. Their objective is to make cleanup and insurance claim process painless and hassle-free. Water Cleanup of Florida is also a licensed building contractor, so they provide the A to Z service, one-stop shopping that busy homeowners and business owners require. There's no need to bring in other contractors. They will handle it all for you. Call or text them anytime at 561-408-7835 for immediate assistance. The number again, 561-408-7835. Water Cleanup of Florida. This show is brought to you by Prize Picks. Prize Picks is a revolutionary new daily fantasy game whereby you pick two, three, or four players to go over or under their fantasy point projections, and if you're correct, you win. Pick two or more players from the same sport or league or go cross leagues for your parlay. Use the promo code 5, that's F-I-V-E, 5, and receive a 100% instant deposit match up to $100. But first, sign up at prizepicks.com to start winning today. Sports betting season is in full force. You need a sportsbook with integrity and longevity like BetUS. You may already know this, but BetUS has been pioneers in the sportsbook industry for almost three decades, thriving and paying their loyal customer base. That is BetUS.com. They have loads of bonuses. Join now or call 800-69-BETUS. That is 800-MY-BETUS. And you will receive a 125% sign-up bonus by using the bonus code 5. That's the word 5, F-I-V-E. They also have re-up and referral bonuses as well. Follow my lead and open an account with BetUS. You bet, you win, you get paid. BetUS. This show is brought to you by Lewis Peters State Farm, agency representing the number one auto and home insurer in the United States for more than 60 years combined experience in the insurance industry. Local agents that understand South Florida's unique market, you have access to them 24-7, walk-in, call-in, click-in through lewispeters.com. You can find them online on social media at SF Agent Peters, or you can call at 305-275-5585. Remember, lewispeters.com. Welcome to Three Yards Per Carry, a podcast covering the Miami Dolphins and the NFL. Now, here's your hosts, Chris, Alf, and Simon. And we're on, and welcome to another edition of Three Yards Per Carry. This is an emergency edition of Three Yards Per Carry. I don't know if we're, we're going to talk about that game yesterday, four out of five against the New England Patriots, because we we kind of have some big news that's dropped this morning. Brian Flores has been relieved of his duties as head coach of the Miami Dolphins. It It's been met with a lot of surprise but maybe we shouldn't be surprised with everything that has transpired over the past year. But I guess 
reactions first. Uh, Simon, your reaction? Yeah, uh, shocking. Um, you know, uh, I think we're all pretty stunned, probably, because we just didn't see it coming, especially with the result yesterday. I thought if the Dolphins had got blown out yesterday, then maybe. Um, but to me, based on what's been said by people like Jeff Darlington, people like Joe Shad, you know, really good journalists, good reporters, this is clearly a mandate supporting Tua Tungabala. Um, there clearly was dissension between and difficulties between Tua and, and Flo in terms of their relationship. I think the Deshaun Watson thing is probably huge in amongst this. This is feels like a power play to me from Chris Greer and, and Ross and, and and Stephen Ross is talking as we speak um, and saying that you know that communication wasn't great between the three of them and that that, that things had essentially broken down. Um, and what's been said clearly by like I said by Jeff and Joe makes it feel like the Dolphins are a hundred percent now in on tour and it's ride or die time. Um, but, you know, I'm shocked. I'm sure you two guys are as well. I mean, you know, you only had to listen to the players last week, Christian Wilkins, Xavier Howard, talking about how they, you know, flow held the team together. Um, and I'm sure we're going to go on to talk about his mistakes, um, and you know, which he did make. But he also, you know, had a lot of good qualities. But I think um, yesterday showed that the team is still was still playing for him. You know, they beat the New England Patriots. who were going to the playoffs. You know, Bill Belichick's Patriots. Yet again, they beat them. Um, and... Yeah, it's pretty. I think the most stunning thing is that Chris Greer retains his position. You know, the guy that has perennially <laughs> fucked up this offensive line. For whether we like it or not, he's the guy that picked two over Justin Herbert. And you only have to look at Justin Herbert last night to realize how amazing he is. Um, you know, free agency misses Will Fuller, Carl Van Noy, uh, Eric Flowers, uh, the defensive end we got from Buffalo, who went to, we traded to Houston for Bernadette McKinney. Um, you know, it's Chris Greer feels like he's been saved by Jalen Waddle, Jalen Phillips, and and Javon Holland. Um, but how Greer maintains his position on Flores doesn't is beyond me. But I'm sure it'll come out in the wash that there was, you know, a, a breakdown in relationship between Flo and Greer and a big, big breakdown between Tua and, and Flo. But to me, Chris, I don't know what you think, but this is the mandate for Tua Tonga Bailoa. Yeah. Uh, and before we get Chris in here, I can report this. Uh, last night, uh, he was asked to make changes on his offensive staff. And after he was asked to make changes on his offensive staff, he was then fired. So make of that what you will. Evidently, obviously, he refused. And that was, I guess, the final straw and many straws. Chris. Well, it's interesting that uh, that you say that because uh, some of the offensive staff are uh, are relieved are about this. That's that's the exact word that I've got um, from somebody close to uh, to one of them. And, um, and there was, there was a lot of, uh, so I'd been given this all year by a, a really, really good source of mine, uh, sort of the, the hints at this all year. And I tweeted about it. A, a, I don't know if it was a couple of weeks ago or, or a week ago or something. Yeah. A week ago, I think I tweeted it, um, that this is, this has to be a low considered a low chance that Brian Flores would, would end up, um, out in Miami, but it's not a non-zero chance because, you know, the, the higher ups are going to have some thoughts on the strategy uh, going forward and the reorganization and and the, the coaching staff and stuff like that. And what happens if Brian Flores digs his heels in? And we all know he's a very, you know, he can be a very stubborn man. And if you have the uh, the unstoppable force meeting the immovable object, what happens? And what happens is dismissal. I mean, that's what, that's what happens. And that is what happened here. 
And, um, and so this, uh, this is a surprise, but it is not a shock. Um, and I think that something else that I've heard is that he and Chris Greer hadn't spoken to each other in three weeks is, um, is what I hear, um, that they, uh, that they are not on speaking terms. Um, clearly there's lots of stuff floating around out there about the relationship between, uh, Brian Flores and Tua Tungavailoa having deteriorated completely. Um, but I think that, uh, you uh, know, I, I go back there, but even, uh, Jeff Darlington reported today that their relationship Tua and Flores had deteriorated to the point where they didn't speak. That's the head coach and the quarterback. So yeah. And, and I had been, I had been told, I mean, I had been told, I had, we'd been told that a while ago um, mm-hmm. that, you know, this was around mid season that, that, that this was that, that relationship had, had gotten real bad. Um, now relationships like that can always get better, especially as you start winning, mm-hmm. you know? Um, but, uh, but I go back to remember when, uh, when a Landon Roberts um, went, went up to two at the end of the, the Texans victory, which Jacoby Brissett, uh, quarterbacked, um, but a Landon, you know, you could kind of read his lips and, mm-hmm. and you could see a Landon Roberts saying to him, you know, no matter what they say, it's coaching, it's coaching. They don't mm-hmm. appreciate you. Mm-hmm. They don't appreciate you. And, and I think that, that, that stands out in my memory of some of the things that were happening in the background. But I, I, you know, I, I know we want to make this about Tua because Everything is about Tua, but, um, but I mean, I, I don't really know that this was about Tua because if it turns out that Brian Flores was the one constantly driving the Deshaun Watson thing. Right. And if, you know, all the rumors that you heard out in the, out in the, uh, the media and the constant drum beat that we heard that was so annoying and such a, such a distraction for the team. Now you kind of wonder, whether that was coming directly from the head coach, whether he was, whether he was the one throwing that out there to people mm-hmm. and creating that distraction for his team. You know, I, I think that, you know, he tried to push Deshaun Watson on everybody. Uh, clearly Chris Greer was uncomfortable with the price tag for Deshaun Watson, Steve Ross. And uh, as per Peter King, Steve Ross was the one that hit the, uh, that hit the, the final veto button on it. Because he didn't like the um, he didn't like the situation surrounding surrounding Watson, you know, uh, that's what Peter King said. That's what a few others have said. I know that some other a bunch of other reporters out there have said different things, like thinking that it's Steve Ross driving it. But you know, it's coming out right now that that Brian Flores was driving that whole thing. I think this had more to do with Deshaun Watson than it did to a tongue of Vilo. I'm being honest. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't think that the Dolphins are sitting here saying. Tua Tagovailoa, we're totally believing in him. We chose Tua Tagovailoa over Brian Flores. I think that's bullshit. I think they to- chose, you know, to get rid of the guy who was trying to push a rapist onto them. You know, and, and that's and I hate to put it so so harshly, alleged. alleged an alleged sexual predator onto the team. You know, um, and I hate to put it so harshly, but the, the, there could there could this could be a consequence of that. You know, if, if he was the guy that was trying to push it to the point where he was the one that was leaking out to the media, um, all these things constantly and undercutting his own quarterback and undercutting his own front office and um, and creating distractions around the team, then, yeah, then, yeah, this is uh, this could be considered a consequence of that. Now, the, as Simon said, Chris Greer is a survivor. We, he's like, 
it's like a cockroach. I mean, <laughs> um, but but how he survives out of this is is uh, is really strange. But at the same time, um, I, I you know I'm told like nobody is safe. Like no, so so like everybody under Greer in that that organizational structure, like you know as far as scouting and and stuff like that, um, training staff, you know, <laughs> nobody is safe right now. Like they they all might they all might be you know dismissed, and so you wonder if um if Chris Greer is going to be given you know a, a chance to reorganize reorganize sorry a, an entire front office as well as uh help Steve Ross hire the next head coach. But I, I know that, you know, even some of the people that were thought to be friends of Brian Flores under him, some of the coaches that were thought to be friends under him were kind of relieved about this, uh, this firing. Um, and I, I don't think Flores was making very many friends behind the scenes. Yeah. And there's a lot of reporting going around everywhere. Adam Beasley, who did have uh, some connections inside the, the organization is reporting that, that the situation with Flores had deteriorated to the point where he was dressing down uh, players in front of other players, embarrassing coaches in front of other players, and that there were loud screaming matches within the team, within coaches. Like this is like that's a complete breakdown of what a team is supposed to be. And well, there was there was a thing with George Godsey and um, and clearly a thing with George Godsey and the, the quarterback coach, um, uh, Charlie, Charlie Fry and uh, and Eric Studsville. You know, we, we all joked about it all year about the three play, you know, the three offensive. By the way, there's a, there's a rumor callers. going around that Flores uh, wanted to fire Charlie Fry last night and he was told you're not going to do that. So. Yeah, well, I I think that um, I think that there there was some weirdness there. I was given this a long time ago that there was like Godsey was calling some calling plays in the um, in the uh, in the preseason. And then uh, Flores basically, you know, questioned why he did something in one of the preseason games. And then all of a sudden it wasn't Godsey calling plays. Mm. Um, and, uh, it, it was Charlie Fry calling plays. And I, I believe, I believe Chris Greer, um, you know, uh, I, I've been told Chris Greer even, you know, kind of commiserated with Gotti at some point in the season. Like when, when he realized that, you know, Flores wasn't letting him call plays, um, and, and Gotti was given the plays back eventually. I mean, it is, there's, there's a lot of weirdness. It, it's just, it, we can't, we can try and make a single narrative out of it that makes cohesive sense, but it's, it's, it's volatility. Yeah. It's volatility that was happening and, and sort of uh, things that, uh, that people in the higher ups just couldn't figure out uh, why there was so much discord everywhere. Yeah. And uh, I'll bring Simon in uh, again right here. I go back to week four, they're playing the Colts. And I think this was a seminal moment in all of this. Tuatunga Bailoa is essentially telling people on the field, I can play today. I could have played today, but I'm being held out. He was then rewarded with an extra few weeks on the sideline as Jacoby Brissett played. I think um, I think he was punished for insubordination. And I think that that was the beginning and the end for Brian Flores. I think that the owner, Stephen Ross, looked at that as you really going to show that you're the boss by intentionally tossing games is what you're doing because you actually think that Jacoby Brissett's going to win you games. In the end, 
all of those losses that Jacoby Brissett, five of them, I think they meant something, okay? Especially when you miss the playoffs by one game. And I think that was the moment. As soon as Tua opened his mouth to the media and to friends, especially to people on the field saying that I could play, I'm just being held out. I think that was the beginning of the end. But Simon, this coach, it's it, it's been painfully obvious from the beginning, from the very beginning. He just didn't like this quarterback. He didn't want this quarterback. You agree? Um, there's a lot of questions in there. Um, so number one, I think Tua kept his counsel very well, and I don't think he spoke out at all. He was very complimentary, always a flow. I think that we can blame Jacoby Brissett as much as we like, but Tua lost eminently winnable games. Um, and I'm thinking of Atlanta and of Jacksonville. You know, that they're on him as much as anything else. But, you know, if we're going to blame Brissett for saying we're not going to get into playoffs, well, you've got to be, you know, you've got to be those two teams as well. Um, I think it was pretty clear that Flores wasn't a fan of Tua. And I think, you know, you listen to people like Joe Shad and Jeff Darlington and, you know, guys I've read since it's been fired and it seems as though Flo was pushing the Deshaun Watson thing. Look, who wouldn't be surprised if, if, if Flo ended up back in Houston or in Houston under Nick Casario and Deshaun Watson, who wanted to come to Miami in part because of Brian Flores, ends up playing for Brian Flores. I mean, mm-hmm. stranger things have happened, right? Um, it just makes so it perfect was, sense, really. Yeah, it really does. yeah. Um, so, I, I mean, I think the biggest indictment of that decision around the Baltimore game was the fact that Tua wasn't deemed healthy enough to start the game, but he played 18, 18 holes of golf the next day and was able to, to grip the club perfectly well. So if he's able to grip a golf club where your finger has to be tighter around a club, but he's not, he's not able to throw a football, I don't really understand that. Um, but it does speak to a lot of small decisions that seem to have not gone Brian's way. And, you know, there's a stubbornness that we've all, you know, and this, like I said earlier, this stuff's going to come out in the wash. There's a stubbornness that is at play, um, whether that's around, you know, the, 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 some of the red flags, stubbornness is one of them, you know, and it's clear from the way that Ross, you know, Stephen Ross must have mentioned you know, a lack of communication and issues around communication about four or five times. So those are clearly critical factors. Um, and to me, it comes back to a lot of it comes back, not just to the quarterback and not trusting the quarterback, which he clearly didn't do. But a lot of that comes back to um, just some of the coaching decisions, whether that's in-game coaching, but the, the assistant coaching decisions, you know, three offensive coordinators, three offensive line coaches. You're not st- that those were we've talked about this ad infinitum during the during the season and during last season. These are big red flags. You know, Alf, you and I talked about it on the first half of the podcast last week. You know, rolling through, cycling through those those offensive coordinators. No continuity, continuity. Whether that was for Fitzpatrick, whether that was for Tua, whether that was Brissett. You know, the lack of continuity in offensive coaching staff. I I think part of the problem was when. I think part of the problem actually wasn't the two of Baltimore speaking out. I think it was not being making a decisive decision around a the offensive line coach, but most notably fudging the offensive coordinator situation. You know, essentially having George Godsey and um, Eric Studsville, but then throwing Charlie Fry into the mix. We went back to the preseason game in Chicago where Fry was calling the plays, and there was a whole kind of brouhaha early in the season about. Godsey was calling the plays, but Fry was telling them in, in his ear and all that sort of stuff. You know, that that doesn't help a young quarterback, especially a young quarterback who we know and who we've discussed has had issues with preparation in terms of looking utterly unprepared. That's That, that obviously is on tour, but that's also on coaching. So, 
you know, I don't think you can necessarily point to one factor. But like I said, it goes back to what I said earlier on. I, I, I know Omar Kelly has come out and said that Tua isn't safe at all. And maybe that's true. But I think, and Stephen Ross made that really weird comment just a minute ago about how he's leaving the decision about Tua and Deshaun Watson to the new head coach. And you kind of think, I don't understand that. That, that this is like rinse and repeat again hire a coach that's going to coach the court you know and we're going to get to the coaches in a minute but hire a coach who's going to coach the quarterback because if you've made a if you've made a decision that you're keeping the quarterback over the head coach then hire somebody that's going to make the quarterback better because if you're just going to make a decision where you're going to hire somebody and then they're going to make a decision on tour and Deshaun Watson and Malik Willis and Carson Strong and Sam Howell and, and those guys then you're not really making a decision at all. Let's actually have some proper leadership. And if you're going to get behind the kid, get behind the kid. But if you're not, do you know what I mean? It feels like we're just fudging decisions again and again. Hire somebody who wants to coach this kid, who understands how he best plays and who wants to nurture him and try and turn him into something special that we all hoped he could be. If you're not going to do that, then I don't see the point in firing Flores. Uh, I, I agree with that. Although it's it's hard to keep a coach that just doesn't want your quarterback and is insisting consistently that he wants Deshaun Watson. And that's what Darlington has, has been reporting all day today is that that Flores was driving it. And I wouldn't call it an obsession, but it was his main sticking point that if he was going to, he was going to begin the drumbeat once again. And, you know, how hard is it to say that, you know, that you support the quarterback that's here, not the one that's in Houston, that is not under your contract. He's under somebody else's contract. You can, in fact, you can't even mention his name because you're afraid of catching a tampering charge. But you know, how hard is it to just say you support the one here and not the one over there? And evidently it was really difficult for Brian Flores to do any of any such thing. And it's well, obvious he didn't want the Chris Greer could have done that too, though. Yes, he did. Yes, he could have. I completely I mean, agree. We, we we talked about it at the time, like the, the Dolphins we're not managing that situation from a press standpoint, right? No, they managed they it. They, if, if, if there was a, a handbook on how to really fuck something up, it was that. that and and that's Watson not thing. just Flores. That's not just Flores. Clearly, it's too. clearly it comes out he was a driving force in that. But that's that's not just him. Like Chris Greer was also, I mean, he was staying hid, hid, hid in a hole, you know. Mm. And, um, and maybe, you know, this is the thing. Like we don't. There's, there's all these things that you're going to discover like right now, like uh, we've, we've been constantly complaining about the running backs position. Was it, was it Brian, was it Brian Flores who basically said, no, no, you don't send, you don't send resources, spend resources on a running, on a running back. That's unimportant. You know, what wasn't him. Uh, we know that we know that Eric flowers was not on the roster was forced off of the roster and a force to be traded because Brian Flores wouldn't have him. Right. And he has final control over the over the roster. And Eric Flowers went on and, and played well uh, elsewhere. And um, and meanwhile, the doll, the left guard position was a constant thorn in our side all year mm-hmm. with uh, with Austin Jackson, um, you know, and Solomon Kinley. Uh, so. So, I mean, like if you're looking at Steve Ross's standpoint, how does Chris Greer survive? I mean, on the one hand, I would point out that Chris Greer at any time could have um, could have quelled the distractions, could have attempted to quell the distractions over Deshaun Watson and started and tried to handle that better. Um, but they're, I think, I think they're probably blaming that on Brian Flores. Um, I think that uh, that you know Chris Greer is a is kind of a collaborator, so you know he he tries to do what his head coach wants. 
So yeah. it wouldn't surprise me if he could point to, you know, various areas of the roster that are, that are bad. You know, he could probably point to some things that Brian Flores, you know, insisted on one of them being, you know, Hey, Eric flowers went and played really well for someone else this year. Um, but this was a guy that I, that I wanted here and, and Brian Flores insisted he be elsewhere. Um, and offensive line was the big problem. And, uh, you know, there, there's the hiring of Lemuel Jean-Pierre as the offensive line coach. I mean, that, I know that was a kind of a head scratcher for many people all year. Um, you know, could have been Brian Flores as the driving force in that, you know, you don't really know. I mean, a lot of things are just going to be blamed on him, but, um, but I will say like, you know, mid season, when it comes to that, that Deshaun Watson thing, you know, multiple people in that organization could have could have actually gotten gotten hold of that so you know it's it's hard to just blame that on brian flores even though he was clearly a driving force and probably again i'm 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 gonna say probably the steady source of those rumors you know Mm -hmm. when you saw it brought up every single week right and you didn't see it brought up every single there were other teams interested Mm -hmm. carolina was interested eagles were interested The Eagles were interested. He didn't see it brought up with those guys every single week, distracting their team. Right. Mm-hmm. You didn't, you just plain didn't. Right. So, so there was a reason that it was coming out that, that it was Miami, right. That it was, uh, that it was Miami every single week. And it wasn't just that it wasn't just Deshaun Watson, you know, and his no trade clause. There was, there was a reason. And I think that in the end, this is, this is this is this could be what we're looking at is is this has more to do with Deshaun because the thing about turning this into this was about two tongue of bylaw they chose two over Brian Flores is that assumes two is safe and I don't think he's safe at all. No, I don't think he's safe this offseason at all. Um, and and so I think that you know we come next season we're lining up some other quarterback. And I'm not saying that will happen, but it could we're lining up some other quarterback, then, uh, then we'll realize, well, no, I, I guess this wasn't choosing to over Brian Flores. They chose neither, you know? Um, so that, that's the, that's one thing that I, I think people have to realize. Uh, one last thing on, on Brian Flores, Simon, what does it say of, of Steven Ross that he keeps, we could talk about whiffing on the draft and you know, that happens. Greer's had plenty of his plenty whiffs, plenty of whiffs, uh, but what does it say about Stephen Ross that he keeps whiffing on these coaches? Like he can't hide. Like is he that bad a judge of character of all these people that he keeps? Like it, it's now what four coaches since 2015 or three? It, like I'm losing count. How many coaches have have coached under Stephen Ross? Is no, yeah, five. It, it, five that, that's that's ridiculous. He's been he's been here for for less than 15 years and he has five coaches. You know, uh, what does it say of Stephen Ross? He just can't pick him. He can't pick him. I mean, he's 81 years old, I don't forget. You know, I mean. Well, we're just yesterday. waiting for him to die to get somebody else to make the decision on the next coach. He's, but he is the day before yesterday's man. Do you know what I mean? He is not even yesterday's man. Um, great at business, terrible at his hobby, which is kind of what this is. I mean, I, I said this in a conversation with somebody the other day. He's a he's a very good owner for many reasons. One of which is, ironically, one of which he do, is he doesn't jump to you know quick fire decisions, which he's obviously done today. But the other is that you know he built the stadium, he invests lots of money, he, yeah. he supports all those sorts of things. And in that respect, he's an excellent owner. But in the other respect, he's not a 
an excellent owner because he keeps people around too long. And part of the problem is that Chris Greer has been part of the Dolphins organization since 2000. And, you know, he'd been to the playoffs once in that time, twice, twice. Yeah. Um, you know, when you're part of the problem and you have the same people around you all the time, you know, not many of those, you know, we've not many of those scouts change, not many of those um, pro personnel people change, not many of those directors of scouting change, you know, the same people making the same mistakes over and over and over and over and over again. You know, do, do any of us believe that the fixable things that the Dolphins need to sort out are going to be fixed by Chris Greer this offseason? Are we going to be hiring, you know, are we going to be drafting the right offensive line players? Are we going to be finding the right offensive line players in free agency? Because history tells us repeatedly that he has no idea what he's doing in that department. Um, you know, and that's the biggest issue on the team. Um, you know, he he overlooked uh, the second best running back in the NFL currently, Jonathan Taylor, to take Noah Igbenogane. You know, now I'm going to hold my hands up and say I, I thought Noah would be a, a player, but I would, you know. Yeah, but let me say let me say something about that. There's plenty of evidence to suggest that before Brian Flores got here, this team would spend resources on running backs. They sent Eric Studsville to do a private workout with Jonathan Taylor. Okay, and I, I reported plenty before that draft, and I told everybody what Eric Studsville was was thinking. He liked J.K. Dobbins, and he worked out everybody. I'm pretty certain he made his recommendations. They were completely ignored. They just ignored the, the position. That has well, to be Brian that, Flores because that, that's unlike what this team has done in the past. Well, that's on Chris Greer. He's the general manager. He is yes. in charge of his final sign-off. That's yeah, he's him. the one who has to tell Brian Flores, no, Eric Studsville went and worked out these guys, and you he says J.K. Like Dobbins is the guy that we should take. We're taking him, period. You can talk, talk all you like about Flores having an involvement or whatever, but Chris Greer, A, has the ultimate sign-off because that is his job. And if he's if he's not doing that, then he's not doing his job. You know, we can say, oh, Flores liked Igbenogane. Well, that's fair enough. Well, did Flores like Austin Jackson? Or did, did Greer just take Austin Jackson? Mm. Because I'm pretty sure Brian Flores wasn't, you know, banging the table for, for an offensive lineman. He might have been banging the table for a corner or a safety, but he certainly wasn't, as far as I'm concerned, certainly wasn't banging the table for an for a you know raw offensive lineman, uh, young baby in terms of you know experience that that that's not his that's on Chris Greer, you know so the buck stops with him, um, so yeah but yeah he's we're asked about face he's he's retained his job, um, and yeah I mean you said it best he'd survive this this dude would survive the bloody you know. He'd survive a quiet place. You know, a quiet place three might be about might be about Chris Greer. You know, that dude would still be alive running away from those monsters. Do you know what I mean? It's like yeah. The thing is that Chris Greer has <laughs> has perfected the art of nothing his, is his fault, and he's uh nothing nothing he's ever done has had any consequences. Like he's always been able to point to somebody else. No, you know that coach didn't want this guy. He wanted this guy. So and he always and he tells you. And he'll flat out tell the media, like, look, I will never draft a player or sign a player that the, my, my head coach does not want. So he's telling you from the, from the get-go, look, I have no responsibilities here whatsoever. So don't look at me. It's not my fault. All the, all the bad picks, the, that's, the, that's the head coach. that you know he, he doesn't want my guys. You know, he's perfected that art. And it's, I, don't, I don't know how he's done it, but. He's pulled the wool over over Stephen Ross's eyes because this is now four coaches. 
okay, that have gone through Chris Greer's uh, view, and he continues to survive. I don't, I don't, I don't know how he does it, but he does. And all he's done, really, as far as a shakeup, when he got the job, you know, and he had full responsibility under Brian Flores, was that he moved around every single scout from one region to another. He basically reassigned scouts to different regions. That's the only thing he's done as far as a general manager. And I really do believe this. Had he completely blown up this last draft, he probably would have been fired today as well. But I think that he saved this job with those first three picks in the 2021 draft. He took Waddle, he took Phillips, and he took Holland, and he's pointing to that like, hey, you can't fire me, you know? Look what I just did. So he survives, but that begs the question, all right, what are who are the candidates? And I guess we'll close right here with this. And I'll start with you, Chris. Who are candidates? Who are the candidates to be the head coach for the Miami Dolphins? Um, I, I tell you who it's not. It's not Jim Harbaugh. Mm-hmm. And um, that I was told. So – so, like I said, I, I'd been I'd been given this uh, dis-ease, I guess, with um, with Brian Flores all year and always wondered why, because and it reminded me so much of this. The same source was was telling me the same thing about Gase, Adam Gase, uh, the year before he was uh, he was sacked. Mm-hmm. And um, and, you know, we never believed it. And and of course, you know, nobody ever believes this about Brian Flores either. Um, but he, that, that source was like, you know, listen, you have, I have a bet. I have a better chance of being the head coach of the dolphins than Jim Harbaugh does. Um, you know, it's not going to be Jim Harbaugh. Uh, who is it going to be? Um, you know, I think Simon has mentioned Doug, Doug Peterson. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's, that's a candidate, but I'm also told, I'm also kind of told by that source that, that, that would be a surprise too. Um, if, if Doug Peterson were, were to end up the guy, I think Jim Caldwell came in, uh, came onto the team for a reason, uh, at the very beginning of Brian Flores's um, tenure. And I think he also left for a reason. Um, and so I would do we have very quickly, uh, and he's, he's, he's on the coaching market. Like he's, it's, it's not that he's not interested in coaching. He is. Um, so I would not be surprised at all to see, um, them start to, uh, focus around him. Um, I know that in new Orleans, Dennis Allen, you know, as, as much as we were, as much as we were like, you know, (laughs) I mean, exactly. We had that reaction back in the original coach search, right. (laughs) You know, we're, we're, I'm being given Dennis's out and Dennis Allen's name is like, literally he was the runner up to, to Flores. And, um, and, and then, and then Adam Beasley came out and said, said the same thing. Um, And if, if he was, if they were super impressed with that guy and he was the runner up to Flores um, and then, uh, and now they're, they're ditching Flores. You can't help, but wonder if they're going to go, you know, if they're going to revisit that. And I, I know nobody, nobody wants to hear that, but, um, I think that, uh, that, yeah, this is, this is going to be, they're, they're going to be looking, uh, they're going to be looking all over the place. And I, I we're probably, uh, everybody's probably assuming it's going to be, uh, an offensive guy or whatever, but, um, I, you know, that's not necessarily the case. Uh, so 
you know, we'll see. Um, I, I don't have any other names than those guys. I would think, um, I, mean, I would think Caldwell and, uh, Caldwell and Dennis Allen. I any chance. Uh, and I, I'll ask you, Simon, then you could, you could get your two cents in here. Any chance. Look, Joe Brady interviewed with three teams last year. He's out there again. Any chance he gets an interview here? He might, but I mean, uh, he might, but he was sacked halfway through a season. With an underwhelming, I mean, I know the quarterback situation wasn't great, but I'd be that'd be a that'd be a surprise. That'd be. A but surprise. what if what if they what if they interviewed him with the idea? This happens sometimes. You interview a guy for the head coach position, then you end up hiring him as the the offensive coordinator. Yeah, sure, sure, you but know? It, you know, it depends. I suppose it depends on who the head coach is to, to to whether they want to. I mean, to me, look, if and Chris makes a very viable point about the the, the selection of. Uh, of Greer and Tour over Flores, but I also think ultimately this is clearly a mandate on keeping the quarterback um, and at least giving him the weapons to build around it because I think that's part of the issue as well. I think, therefore, if you're going to do that, you have to make it as seamless and as you have to, you have to play to Tua's strengths, you have to call plays to his strengths. And I think, you know, Tua thrives running an RPO attack with a strong running game. So if you're looking for new head coaches and you're looking at offensive-minded guys, it has to be those coaches who have successfully run RPO attacks. So that's Eric Bienemy in Kansas. That's Andy, the Andy Reid coaching tree. So Mike Kafka, for example. Doug Brian Peterson. Dable. Doug Brian, Peterson. Well, I'm just about to come to Doug Peterson. Brian Dable, obviously, who was Tua's offensive coordinator at Alabama. And then Doug mm. Peterson. And if you look at Philadelphia, I was just looking at the numbers. Philadelphia's RPO usage was among the highest in the league consistently, consistently year on year when he was there. You know, could now there is an argument that, you know, when Frank Reich left and John DiFilippo left, that's when Doug Peterson ran into problems. Obviously, Jim Schwartz, that that defense won a Super Bowl, you know, was equally as equally as um, successful in winning a Super Bowl as the offense was. You know, with Brandon Graham and uh, and that outstanding front that he had, and the the the, the great turnovers that they had in the Super Bowl. You know, do you consider getting the band back together? Jim, Jim Schwartz is a, a Tennessee, I think now is he a, co- a consultant at Tennessee? But I, you know, I think if you're going to, if if Tour is the mandate, you've got to build around him, and therefore you've got to bring in offensive-minded coaches who play to his skill set. So to me, I would say that Doug Peterson and Eric Bieniemy, possibly a Mike Kafka and a Brian Dayball would be would be front and centre in terms of in terms of what they they look to do and whether that's Brian Dayball with Ken Dorsey as an offensive coordinator, for example. Um I think I think sacking Brian Flores to bring in Dennis Allen would make me want to kill myself. I mean <laughs> I mean, it's true though. You know, would Pete, you know, would Pete Carmichael leave New Orleans to come and coach as Dennis Allen's offensive coordinator? Maybe. But I don't know. That I mean, that would be fucking underwhelming. I mean uh, I, uh, I guess uh, we could finish the show right here, but I'll ask the question to both of you. Uh there's a strong rumor uh, going around that the Saints might just blow the whole thing up and start over which means, in my opinion, that Sean Payton wouldn't want to be there for that. Would you trade a draft pick to New Orleans for Sean Payton? Simon, first. Um, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I can't see it happening. Um, but yeah, I mean, it depends what, it, depends what pick it was. But Sean Payton, right? I mean, he's a great but coach. What, what did, uh, what did the, the Bucks pay for, for Gruden? It was two second rounders, right? Is what they paid? That's a good question. Chris, would you trade a pick for Sean Payton? 
I, I would certainly, I would certainly think about it and I, I'd want to know uh, who we could bring with them. I mean, I know that they, I know that they were, whether we like it or not, they were enamored of uh, Dennis Allen in the, with the, um, the last head coach search, he was the runner up to Brian, uh, Brian Flores. Um, and if Sean Payton were to come over to Miami and, you know, nobody's interested in Dennis, Dennis Allen as a head coach, uh, would he come with Sean Payton to Miami, uh, and be the defensive coordinator? That would certainly, you know, that would certainly sweeten the deal to them enough to be like, you know, yeah, we're going to go ahead and send picks, um, for the, for the, the, the coach. And especially, you know, under the idea that, um, that, you know, they had, Sean Payton had Drew Brees. He made that work. He's um, there's a lot of similarities between Tua Tungvalo and, and Drew Brees. Um, so, and we've always speculated that perhaps, uh, perhaps Sean or perhaps Tua Tungvalo would be traded to the New Orleans Saints. Um, ultimately, if if in a situation where we get Deshaun Watson, uh, so it would make a lot of sense. And yeah, you'd have to think about it. But I, I think um, the name that Simon mentioned, Brian Dable, is uh, is one is certainly one to watch. Um, you know, if I, again, I don't think this was. I don't think this was a, a mandate about Tua Tungavailoa. I think that the the discord with Tua Tungavailoa is sort of a symptom, not the disease. Um, and so I think that is being treated as a symptom rather than, than a disease uh, when it comes to getting rid of Brian Flores. Um, but at the same time, if you know, I've also speculated they're going to have a hard time in this market, or they're going to have a harder time than people think trying to replace Tua, which is to say that, you know, the situation with Deshaun Watson, there are still lots of other, there are still other shoes to drop. Right. And um, there's still criminal uh, stuff to, uh, to resolve. There's civil stuff to resolve. There's league suspension stuff to resolve. And ultimately the dolphins could be looking at, are we really going to trade a boatload of picks for a guy who's going to miss half the season or more um, because of a suspension uh, and also, you know, have that, that little moral question of, um, of having two dozen women uh, or having nearly as many accusers of sexual assault as wins in his career. Um, you know, I, I think that uh, there's, there's that. So that, that quandary was going to present to them. And, and I think that they would lean toward, they already leaned toward a no, they already said no. And so I think they would lean toward a no again. And then we talk about like Aaron Rodgers and Russell Wilson. And it's like, yeah, okay, well, let's just go get LeBron back too, you know, in Miami. Like, I don't think those guys, Aaron Rodgers and Russell Wilson, actually want to be here. Certainly not after Miami just sacked uh, Brian Flores, and now there's all kinds of uh, turbulence in in that organization. Um, so they may find they may stare at the quarterback environment, and then you go to the draft, and this is being considered a weak quarterback draft. You know, you don't want to marry one of these guys. You might, you might, you know, mess around with them and try to figure out, uh, you know, hey, he's a developmental guy. We'll see how he is down the road. But this is, uh, this is kind of a weak quarterback draft to try and replace your guy, like to a tongue of Vilo. So they may look at the quarterback environment. They may find themselves staring at it and being like, it's not that we believe Tua is the man. It's that we don't really have other options this year. You know, next year they have two first round picks. Next year there might be a better quarterbacks class. You know, that they might have more options next year. So if they look at that environment and say, we don't really have much choice but to go with Tua Tunga Vailoa next year, then it comes down to what Simon was saying. You build around him, you build you build the offense around him, the RPO and the offensive line, the running game, all that stuff. And who's a guy 
that would be, you know, chief amongst candidates to build around, to build around to a tongue of Iloa. It's Brian Dable, the guy that coached him in Alabama, the guy who actually pushed for him to be the starter as a mm-hmm. freshman, you know, amongst Alabama's uh, coaching staff, the guy who, you know, originally said the quote about Tua being, you know, the quote about Tua's accuracies, like other guys, you know, can hit this and other guys to, you know, Tua can hit the keyhole of a door from, you know, this, this, uh, this distance, like he was, he's that guy. And, um, and, and it would be weakening. It would be weakening a division opponent, a division opponent. You can't beat. You know, this is the one, this is the one division opponent they couldn't beat. And so, um, so I I wouldn't be surprised at all to see that everything coalesce around Brian Dable uh, because of all those reasons. Um, So, you know, yes, definitely. I would trade a draft pick for Sean Payton, but I wouldn't be surprised if everything starts to, you know, starts to revolve around Dable in this, in this process. Yeah, leave, leave it to the leave it to the Miami Dolphins to figure out uh, the New England Patriots. They've beaten them four out of the last five. They swept them this year for the first time in almost twenty years. Uh, they also missed the playoffs for the they're they're the only team, and, and this is just so Dolphins. Okay, they're the only team in the last forty years to miss the playoffs twice because they did it in two thousand two and two thousand three with winning records back-to-back years. They're the only team to do that in 40 years, the Miami Dolphins. That's it. And they've done it twice. John Gruden cost two firsts and two seconds. Was trying, so, yeah, yeah that, was, that was egregious when that happened. Sure. I remember I'm, at that time. Sure. Well, it's quite interesting just looking at social media, a lot of players tweeting – Blake Ferguson can't thank Coach Flo enough for taking a chance on me. Changed my life forever. Jason McCourty, wow, with four exclamation marks. Nick Needham, I'm sick as fuck. Robert Hunt quote tweeting it going, facts, exclamation mark, exclamation mark. Interestingly, on Instagram, Devontae Parker has liked the post where the Dolphins say they fired Brian Flores, which I find quite interesting. I mean, you know, maybe that's just a mistake on his part, but um, it does seem quite interesting that you would come out and like a post to say that your coach has been fired. Well, that's, that's Devontae Parker. Devontae Parker's a, a special a special guy. You never know what he's thinking, you know. Although, you know, th- there's some evidence to suggest that that Flores and Parker didn't have a bad relationship. So, but, you know, we didn't know that, you know, that, that, that Flores had all these problems with all the coaches in the building. Well, I guess we could wrap it up right here. Uh, can, the I next time- can I just throw a completely random name into the mix? Go ahead. What about Lane Kiffin? <laughs> well That'd that's that's a, that's a sexy name right like that's extremely yeah. sexy i mean he's a big Tua fan right yes I, he's I, a I, massive I Tua fan that would be that would be interesting i i think you know so we do have to we do have to throw out in-house guys in here right somebody in-house is going to get that interview it should be gerald alexander who Oh, Gerald Alexander. Okay. Yeah, the, the um, maybe, maybe it's maybe it's him. Uh, maybe it's um, maybe it's uh, uh, Boyer, Josh Boyer. Maybe he gets mm-hmm. uh, maybe he gets an interview. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know. Just just uh, if they want to keep continuity with the style of defense that they've built. Yeah, and and I think that's something worth preserving you have a lot of rookie contracts everybody's like, oh you know i'm i'm looking at it on social media people are saying oh another rebuild well on the offensive side of the ball absolutely but 
you know, you have a lot of rookie contracts, a lot of good contracts on the defensive side of the ball, and you don't have much to to do really. All you, what do you really have to do? Resign Emmanuel Agba. That's it. And then you got some decisions to make in a couple of years on guys like Wilkins, ABG, and and such, and Byron Jones. But, you know, it's kind of ready-made. That defense is ready-made. I wouldn't mess with it too much. I, I'd be – whatever coach comes in here, you, you got to try to – you know, I wouldn't say force Gerald Alexander and Josh Boyer upon them, but I, they would get a strong recommendation from me. Uh, I, I just would. Like, you've built one part of a football team pretty well. The other part is the one that's in shambles and has to be completely rebuilt, which is the offensive side of the ball. All right. That's it. There's no more. The next time we talk to you, we didn't think we'd be talking about that. We thought we thought we would have we would do a show later on this week about the off season and the offensive line and uh, you know and and such. But no, we'll be talking coaching candidates again. For by the way, this is the second time that we go through this on the podcast. <laughs> okay, that tells you the frequency that Stephen Ross is firing coaches in in, in this for this franchise. So. Yeah, I guess we'll talk coaching the next time we speak to you. Thanks for listening to Three Yards Per Caddy. You can subscribe via iTunes, on Podbean, or your usual podcast provider.